Hola, this is Lorena Junco Margain, and I'm so excited for this journey. We decided to launch this podcast to share my story with the hope that you could connect the dots of your life and truly be on your way. Today on On My Way, we have part two of a conversation with Magnify Impact leader, Maggie Miller. On today's episode, Maggie shares about her passion for creating social impact in the world, something that traces through her childhood throughout her entire life. Magnify Impact helps create social impact to supercharge profitability. Maggie and Hannah guide business leaders to put purpose into action, creating real life-changing benefits for the company and society. Lorena and team are working with Maggie and Hannah to develop social impact initiatives through Lorena's new shop that you can find at lorenahuncomargain.com. Now to today's episode with Maggie. Hola, hola, mis amigos. Hello, my friends. Well, I'm running on Mexican time, and I told Maggie, Maggie, you married a Mexican. As you heard on the episode, um, last episode, we spoke to Hannah and Maggie on their amazing book they just launched. It's called Magnify Impact. But Maggie and I have a lot of things in common, but very different upbringings. And I want to pick her brain, want to learn about why she married a Mexican, how we both ended in Austin, Texas, and we're both passionate of football. So, Maggie, how did you end up meeting your husband? I'm just fascinating. By the way, my friends, she speaks fluent Spanish even better than I. She's amazing. Okay, gracias, Lorena. Y hablo Magdalena. I'm Magdalene. Soy Magdalena. I'm very happy to be with you again for this empowered woman jam session. Um, so how I met how I met my Mexican man, you know, as I said in the last episode, I alluded to my work in South America. I had a nonprofit named Descubre Esperanza, Discover Hope. And that initiative was born out of a dream in San Diego. As as I described in the last episode, I was working for these two men who practiced this ultimate forgiveness through the death of their son. And remind our listeners about that case. It's just. Yeah. So I absolutely tell you to go to TKF as in TarkCamisaFoundation.org, a beautiful organization in San Diego where I was doing my master's at the time. Two men came together in the spirit of absolute forgiveness. One man's son killed the other man's son over a pizza jacking. So it was a gang initiation, and he was dared to order a pizza. Tony Hicks was dared to order a pizza and shoot the pizza man who came to the door. So in San Diego, it was an interesting case because in 1995, the Californians had just voted that youth would be tried as adults. And so Tony Hicks became the first young person at age 14 to go to an adult prison for 25 years. So working alongside this family and seeing true forgiveness when I was dealing with my own difficulty, with my relationship with my father, I was a rebel on all levels, um, <laughs> to, to really see what forgiveness looked like. And amazingly, I just want to mention on that case that Tony just was released from prison last year, and the family of this young man he killed invited him to work for the foundation. So now he speaks to young people 
people on behalf of like what does it mean to I would love having him as a guest. Oh, Azim is Azim and Tasreen is is the executive director. She's Tarek's sister who lost her brother and Azim is the father who lost his son. And They're how both. how old is Tony? Uh Tony is should be about uh mid 30s by now. So he still has yeah. a full life ahead of him. Yeah. I assume a lot of restorative absolutely processes. absolutely and that's one one concept i learned from you restorative justice that's just such a even poetic term can you tell me more about that absolutely so i i thought a lot about this concept for you when i was reading your book um when i received the manuscript so restorative justice means that it doesn't mean that it's okay what was done to you it's it's not saying it's okay what happened to me it's saying how can i move on the path to make myself whole again and part of that wholeness is in practicing this muscle of forgiveness that you talk about how can i go to the person that wronged me and and seek some different sort of resolution that's not an eye for an eye because we we know that usually that misery ends up in your veins your cellular structure your health it doesn't make you any better to to be hating anger is so detrimental to your health it does have a role you know anger it does have a purposeful role it can be a compass of good or wrong but also you need to release it absolutely so so from san diego one day i found myself saying what is this next challenge for me i've learned so much from these men and i was meditating praying in my own ways and those and in that situation and i remember hearing the what i call the still small voice and it said go see con otros ojos mm -hmm. it was actually half english and half spanish exactly half and half as i said to myself what is that what does that mean like give me more information god spirit universe Soul searching yeah absolutely so for about seven or eight months i or for two months at that time i just kept listening waiting and i started seeing images of small children they were dark skinned they were in mountains and one of my investor friends in San Diego Dan Pearson he said to me hey Maggie you know you're kind of this hippie who went on this <laughs> tour i know this little town in northern uh, peru cajamarca and it's sort of like the 60s there things are very different i just think you would thrive there and this is how long ago this was 2003 And as soon as he told me about it, it just clicked for me. I said, I'm going. I'm going to go. I'm going to go in eight months. I'm going to find someone for this beautiful job I have. I'm going to pay off all my debts. And on March 3rd, which strangely I just realized is also the date my dad passed away many years later. So that's a lot of serendipity. I got on a plane and I flew to... Lima, Peru, and then I was on a bus on these switchbacks in the Andes for 22 hours <laughs> with That's roosters amazing. and, you know, people stopping to go to the bathroom on the side of the road and instantly I was humbled and changed and I was this very outgoing person and the but working with I sat myself in the town and I said for the next months of my life I am going to talk to every woman I can in the market in the streets um in their kitchens and their homes if they would invite me in 
And by serving others and seeing their difficulties, did that help you heal the problems you had with your father? Or was that not exactly the vehicle to forgive the past? Yeah, well, I think that I had had this kickstart from this work in San Diego where I saw, like, if these people can forgive each other, surely I can start to lift the heaviness off my my own back and first forgive myself. I think there's a real key there in saying... I need to forgive myself for the way I speak to myself, for the way I view myself, and the way I treat myself. And so seeing these women say to me, if I just had a dollar, then I could empower my children. What they do for themselves is they make sure their children are healthy. They make sure they go to school. They make sure that um, they change the infrastructure of their home so their kids aren't breathing in, you know, dust all the time. And so women, to me, at that time, uh, the Grameen Bank was coming into its formation. Mm-hmm. And the Grameen Bank uh, was the first sort of concept at that time of giving women small loans to empower themselves. They hadn't yet gotten the Nobel Peace Prize, which came two years later. Wow. But to see microfinance as a tool for poverty and to see what women, 98% of microfinance worldwide is women, and the repayment success rate of those small loans is 98% as well. And That's so, so inspiring. Did you come back a different person? Oh, absolutely. So you'll you'll appreciate just culturally, you know, being this really open, blonde, wedita, like American woman, yes. um, you know, I was inviting some of the males in the town to have coffee talk or what I would call, <laughs> you know, coffee talk in the Midwest. Because although I was empowering women, the men, there was a lot of machismo in the town and the men were really the owners of kind of what went on. And so I had to have them on my side as well. And I had to make sure that they didn't feel threatened. Yeah. Strategic. Yeah. So I strategically was inviting them to coffee. But the women basically said to me like, hey, we think like eres coqueta, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're a flirt. Why are you going to coffee? You're a menace. Yeah. And I was like... I don't understand it. I think I'm just going to coffee talk with these guys and just trying to get them to let me do this work in town. You know, which, which talking about there's a language for everything and cultural barriers everywhere. When I came to the U.S. in Mexico, you kiss strangers and hug strangers. That's yeah. That's that's what you do. It doesn't mean I, I'm into you yeah, or right. onto you. I don't know how you say it. <laughs> right, right. So I remember coming in and like, full on hugs, like body to body. Mm-hmm. And I would see stares like, what? The? And I'm like, yeah. literally, you you don't shake hands. It's, right. it's such a different. So I can understand why, yeah. you know, maybe I would tell a girl, hey, no, no cafe con el mio, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, and it has, and for you, you were doing a formal thing. Right. I was trying to really get permission to do the work. And so I love it. After about um, when I went there, I went with no money, uh, but I because I had gotten to zero, which I thought was rebirth, like complete starting over. But I had people who trusted me. So they said, look, we'll invest in a project not for you to live or to do anything for yourself. So I taught English to um, to folks who worked at the mine. So Yanacocho was the world's largest gold mine at the time in Cajamarca, Peru. And as you know, like, the, well, the gold mine was owned by Newmont of Denver, mm-hmm. Colorado. So these were really like big white guys with mining boots. And, you know, they had 
They, so I had to get over the, also the image that I belonged to the mine because, as you know, like with indigenous folks in this area, their God or their Dios really is the earth, yes. la tierra. And so, you know, for, for mining, it's essentially chopping up God in, in essence. And so I had to really make it clear that I had come to be there and to listen to what their needs were. And I think that's my number one thing that I've learned in international development and impact with companies is listen to the needs of what people want. Don't go around a table and tell them what they should do. Yeah, I remember going to some of these women and saying, hey, you guys, if you start a lavanderia mm -hmm. here, you're going to just wipe up everything. You're going to make so much money because these families of the miners wanted clean clothes laundered sort of like the U.S., well, they said to us, Maggie, Magdalena, we shell peanuts. Like yes. we've done that for 25 years of our lives. We don't know why you would be suggesting something so crazy to and, us. And they're truly happy. Yes. Um, I've, I've noticed that some of these communities, anger and frustration comes when they see what, they're, what they don't have. But there's a beauty to the not knowing, you know. Mm -hmm. That's why I think there's a lot of frustration with technology. It's like a, a two-sided blade, right? One, it gives you windows to the whole world. And I do believe information is, is power. Yeah. But if you don't know if you don't have the the discipline and the discernment to understand what is real and what is not, it can just Mm -hmm. you know, give you frustration and anger and entitlement and why don't I have that and why did they take this from me? So I think there's a fine balance, uh, especially in developing countries where they they are lacking so many things that they were totally content when Completely. they didn't know of it. And now they're very angry because they think they deserve it as well. It's interesting you say that because I one of the parts of the project when listening to the women, part of the other part of the project was education. Because I think if you give someone $150 who's had a dollar a day, you're giving them a tool where you need to teach them, what do you do with this tool? What do you, how do you use it best for you? For example, one woman said to me, like, I want to put wheels on my ice cream cart. Why? Because she wanted to be mobile and go to the school and sell barca miels, which mm -hmm. are the sugar cones. And and asking her and breaking down her cost, I said, you need to you need twenty dollars. You don't need one hundred fifty dollars. So I want to give you what you need so you're not destructive and paying back your loan. It doesn't hurt your life. I don't want to hurt your life. And so one of the things the women asked for was um, knitting circles. And I didn't know why they wanted knitting circles, but these knitting circles grew to hundreds and hundreds of women and they would have different groups where they would knit and talk together and really they Very were talking they were talking through abuse and and loss and you know pregnant having babies by themselves and and they would just love and help each other and one day I joined a knitting circle I didn't know how to knit very well and and they called me for a while Barbie and Bar <laughs> Barbie kind of bothered me at the time because I thought it was this example of this, you know, unobtainable figure from the U.S. that I know as uh -huh. this doll. But they said, no, it's like, it's like muñeca, like yes, you're a little you're a doll. doll, like mm -hmm. you're sweet and we, it's a good thing for us. And so I had to sort of get over my connotation of Barbie. And, and so I wrote this piece called Barbie Dreams because I was sitting with them and they said to me, Maggie, tell us about the American dream. 
Like, we want that so, so much. And I had been sitting with them for hours where they just loved each other so deeply. And in that moment of that time in my life, and I appreciate a lot of things about being in the United States and being from, from here, I said to myself at that time, though, hey, are you talking about the dream where we work so hard for things that we never have time to use because we're working so hard to get the things? And this vicious cycle of, like, not having presence with one another that is really prevalent in this culture that I think, you know, many of us are trying to trying to fight with this, this connoisseur, which is our telephone and our technology. And I was like, you're sitting here together. You love one another. And I was, I was saying to here today, that's why I really enjoy part, my part-time life in Barcelona, Spain, because siesta and four-hour lunches and being with people that you really love and having that renewal and re-energizing every day is part of what people do. Yes, and I love it. You know, I, I once heard a priest say, that's the priest that from childhood and he's from Ireland and he had a very thick Irish accent and he loved saying jokes in Spanish. Mm. So you would have to try to understand, but this marked my life forever because he said that there was this light bulb and that God would tell him, you are light, you shine. Without you, we would be in darkness. No one would know how to walk. They would trip over everything. And he said, I'm what? Yes, you know, when you shine, people smile, they can gather, they can do things, they can. And, and he's like, the light says, I just I just don't get it. So God created darkness. And mm -hmm. that's when light understood. So I think that what you just shared with us is basically that, that you are light. You're in the United States full of opportunity, but sometimes you need to go and experience the other side of the, you know, the polarity to value what you have. And also me being from Mexico, it makes me value now that I'm in the United States. I'm like, I value so much the what time do we meet at three, but we don't set an end time. Mm -hmm. It's just an open, we don't know, maybe it's 1 a.m., maybe it's not. But there's just this, it's like, so good for the soul to not be on a calendar, back to back, mm -hmm. everything But at the same time, you see, you know, that's why we're not the number one power country in the world, because mm -hmm. we take life easy, we're laid back, and it has its beauty, but also its frustrations, and mm -hmm. the economic system is not solid versus a well-oiled machinery, but with a little bit more isolated lives. Right, right? absolutely. So I, I think I agree. basically we need to invite everyone to live both experiences. Mm -hmm. The importance of serving is so important to see that you're actually living in a world of abundance. It might be emotionally, might be financially, but wherever you're lacking, you need to kind of expose yourself. Lorena Junco Margain, passionate art collector, devoted wife and mother, is already shaken after fleeing Mexico with her family while pregnant due to concerns for their safety. After arriving in her new home in Austin, Texas, she learns she has a tumor on her adrenal gland. Although not life-threatening, the condition is serious and requires surgery right away. 
Having long experienced unexplained symptoms of dizziness and lethargy that neither medications nor holistic or Ayurvedic treatments have helped, she embraces the news with tears of relief. With a simple surgery, she can regain her strength and joyful spirit. But fate can be mischievous, and to err is human, even for surgeons. Rather than improve after surgery, her condition worsens. On the way to Casa Lotus is the gripping true story of Hunka Margain's journey coming to terms with the permanent consequences of a surgeon's devastating mistake. Mindful that even good people make errors and that vengeance such as legal action would not mend her broken body or soul, she chooses instead to embark on a quest for peace and healing, beginning by seeking space in her heart to forgive. You can get your copy of On the Way to Casa Lotus on Amazon or at LorenaHuncoMargain.com. Service is so critical, and I feel like if you can do international service, but even service in your own communities, totally. for young people right now, I think that um, it's so important for them to get out of their isolated places to see what it means to reflect about yourself in the world. And traveling has always been one of my biggest passion points. Pre-COVID, I was on, you know, my office was the plane seat in the sky. That's wow. what I said to people. And it was just a passion for me to see other cultures. As you know, our shared fat passion of football. I'm a, a voting member of FC Barcelona. <laughs> but to see games all over the world and to see the way people celebrated what I feel is a real international language of connection. It's beautiful. And, just uh, one ball is the same language worldwide. Absolutely. And so... Um, Hector, my husband uh, at the at the time didn't know Hector at all, but one of my board members invited him to be a sponsor for an event that we called uh, uh, Band Together for Hope. Mm -hmm. And Hector at that time, as he describes to people, hadn't given anything to any anybody, but he had a successful business. So he had a background that had sort of shut him off from being of service because it hurt him and his own, his family in many ways, and it was a difficult journey for him. So his his response to that was just stay in my lane and be successful and make make money. So he was invited to be the sponsor by my board member, and I don't think he really looked at the website at the time because <laughs> you know he's a vision guy and he wasn't kind of picking apart the website. And as he describes it, later they called him, hey, are you going to be at the event tomorrow? You're the main sponsor. You should have something to say. And he said, I can't, I can't make it. And um, he hung up and he felt kind of bad because he hadn't even looked at the website. And he opened the website and he said, I saw a bunch of basically white folks who were doing this mission work for Latino women, you know, and and. I think it bothered him. He was like, why are these people doing things for for people, for women? And they don't live there. They don't they didn't come from these cultures, but they're like banding together and working hard to serve women. Which that's another topic I need to talk with Hector, because that's totally fine. Yeah. You know, it's fine that we have people loving on us. They don't have to be the same color or country, but that's for another yeah, day. Yeah, absolutely. I, 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 yeah, I think he just was feeling like, what have I done? And so he said, I'm coming to the event. And he came to, he came to the event and, and 
I I call him like he's my professional button pusher. Like he, we're great debaters together, which is I one thing I think that's passionate about our relationship. We really help each other along as entrepreneurs. But back at that time, the first thing he said to me was, "I heard that you have a hundred percent repayment rate. That's got to be BS, basically." <laughs> and I was like, "Why would you even say? It? You know, have you ever been on the ground and?" in a community bank with women before? Do you know how solidarity banking even works and how women have each other's back, essentially? No, I don't. Well, I was like, that just seems like nothing you can comment about. So already I was like, this guy's a little precocious, you know? And so just later he joined the board and, and our relationship grew over the years. I think he came to Peru. I invited him and some of my board members to Peru and I think he says to people that was when he was born again in some ways. Oh, Just that's beautiful. He tells a story of a woman. He comes into a sewing class, and they're doing mathematics on the board and complicated things. And um, the the women have this humble little cookies and coffee for him. And one of them's kind of crying, and he says, like, hey, are you okay? Do you need some money? Do you need some help? And she no, I have three businesses. My husband kind of stabbed me and threw me to the bank, but thanks to this program, I'm, I have my businesses. And he, she just said, I just had to come thank you, but my mom died an hour ago. And he was just like, your mom just died. Why are you here? And she just said, I just had to thank you. My whole life changed. And I just think he saw like the power of what can happen when you ins- when you take people's superpowers right and you inspire greatness in them and you're willing to play a role in whatever way you can. Yeah. doesn't have to be internationally in South America or anywhere. Mm-hmm. But how can you come to your life that moment and make a difference for someone? Thank you for sharing this story. You know, you just made me click. I've been journaling a lot lately on what is it that I haven't forgiven since I wrote my memoir on the way to Casa Lotus, and it's based on a, an injury and forgiveness. And I always come full circle, and I end up having the guilt problem. And the only thing that, and I'm gonna, I want to invite you to let go of something that is important to you, and I'm gonna let go, I'm gonna share it. I, had, I hadn't thought of, a, of it this way, but I'm gonna release my guilt of not going back to Mexico. Hmm. All my family moved back to Mexico and I decided to stay. And I've always made stories which are true. I want my kids to be safer. I want to live in a society where I don't worry about guns, as in narcos. I know Texas has (laughs) other issues. I want to live in a society where I can trust the law, law enforcement. So... But I hadn't seen it as a as an exchange. I only beat myself saying, you know, all my family moved back and I stayed. And the guilt concept of I betrayed my family. And I know from the outside that's not how it is. But emotionally, that's how I feel because we've always moved as a pack. Yes. So I would love it if you can share with me something that you're ready to release. Yeah. And we will end this podcast today. So I release and I forgive myself for being so hard on myself of leaving my pack and wanting to start my own. And I want my parents to know and my family that I'm always here and that 
geography does not separate us and I'm ready to move forward and own it that I'm a happy Mexican-American with a happy family and a strong marriage and I know that I will make them very proud. I release. Would you like absolutely. sharing sure. something? Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to say I love seeing the love that your family has for one another. Um, it reminds me of family for me, coming from a family of eight children. And I think I've recently released and had many uh, weeping tears <laughs> about um, the loss of my dad. But it wasn't, it was, I had absolute forgiveness in the last days of his life and before that for him and sitting by his side for the last hours even. But when you come from a big family and sort of the the dissolution and the division of, of what had gone on in our lives up to that point um, in marriage and in our family was a very difficult, um, was very difficult for all of us. And, and there was mega tension about it. I think death unearths those things for people. You see the what's stocked inside and some of your ugliness comes forth and and working in, in Barcelona with, you know, some masseuse and acupuncture and Reiki and just letting tears fall to the earth. I realized that I had a lot of bitterness in my bones that was was making me unhealthy and and keeping me from being the light that I want to be in my life. And so I've been actively releasing that and I want to keep releasing that knowing that you know my dad's greatest saying was make it happen. It's a tattoo I plan to put on my arm. But to know that we also have to be gentle with ourselves on our journey and I think that's one thing you've really taught me in saying that over and over. I come from a family of competition and who's going to run the five miles the fastest. And if you don't do a marathon, but a half marathon, it's sort of not as cool, not as awesome. And so to be kind with myself and say, like, I'm doing my very best and I just have to keep working on that and remembering that. So I'm thankful to you for those words that have really stuck in my head and my mind. Thank you. It, it, it takes two, right? We need to be mm -hmm. sounding boards. And um, you helped me release this emotion that mm. had been, you know, I've been carrying. And you don't have to verbally say anything. But if you just want to take a deep breath and release whatever thing has been heavy in your heart. And everyone listening out there, don't feel alone. We all have our struggles. One might think they're the biggest thing that they've ever dealt with but the other one thinks that their problem is the biggest and guess what we all can have our biggest problems and they are all as valuable and important to everyone so please take a deep breath in and just know that you are loved and whatever you're going through there's people praying for you loving on you and sending us light it takes humankind and good people to move forward because remember we are all on our way to love to forgiveness and to make this place a better world thank you so much maggie thank you Pasins. namaste namaste thanks for listening to on my way with lorena hunko magain 
We'd like to invite you to send us your thoughts and any questions from this podcast by emailing Lorena at LorenaHunkelMargain.com. You can also reach out to us directly through our website by clicking the link in the show description of this podcast. Special thanks to executive producer Casey Helmick, studio engineer Joseph Olguin, audio and video editor Scott Caro. This podcast is a production of Terra Firma and recorded from the historic Arlen Studios in Austin, Texas. Thank you.